0: Welcome back everybody to another episode of the Darker Audio Podcast. We are going back once again to New Jersey to basically essentially virtually visit the Always Smiling Michael Avonia. That's and- right. Yeah. I am smiling right now. <laughs> in in a rainy uh rainy New Jersey. Rainy New Jersey. It it hasn't uh it hasn't dropped below about 100 degrees here for a <sighs> week. It's driving me crazy. Hmm. So now I know what it's like. Uh, in summer in Portugal, not pleasant, not pleasant It's like New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. God, you're there. The humid weather is there. I mean, Mm. why why would anybody want to go there? (laughs) For the culture. The culture. Yeah. (laughs) So it's been a while since we've done a podcast, Michael. Yeah, it has. Um, we are going to follow the similar format to usual. So we're going to do a few news items, but this time they're going to come with a twist. Well, at least two of them are. And then we're going to cover a couple of sort of main discussion topics and then finish up with a couple of recommended albums. And let's get straight into news items, which I've got to say, I mean, I'm sure you've noticed this, have been very thin on the ground since Oof. Munich. They certainly have. Yes. Trickling at best. Right. Yeah. It's, um, it's a quiet time of year for, for new hi-fi gear. But do you want to start us off? Sure. Um one of the pieces of news
1: that caught my attention was the new version of an old Macintosh speaker called the ML1 mm-hmm. which is now the ML1 MK2
0: Okay
1: so this is a um it is it comes with an integrated uh, stand but this speaker first showed up in the nineteen seventies. Huh. And uh they've more or less stuck with the original appearance. So this is, you know, that whole retro phi movement. Mm-hmm. Macintosh is on board. They've kind of never been off board, really. Right, um, yes. Uh with their, you know. So I mean, the uh, really the one thing that caught my attention and why I posted about this speaker is because there's so many Macintosh badges on the new version. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. Hey, but before you get to that though, like, is this a single speaker that just sits in one corner, or is it two, or what is it?
1: Oh no, they're normal. They're no, they're, <laughs> they're your regular speaker pair, a three way.
0: Okay. okay. So it's a passive speaker.
1: It's a passive speaker, 12-inch woofer, 4-inch lower mid and 2-inch soft dome upper mid Uh and a tweeter. I'm sorry. Did I say three-way?
0: You did say three-way. Yes, yes.
1: I was lying. Um, It's a two-way, is it? No, it's... (laughs) <laughs> it's a multi-driver mm. oh god it has a, it has a lower and upper mid-range and a tweeter and a 12-inch woofer so actually yeah you know i hadn't even really paid a lot of attention to those specs i was really so focused on the badges but mm. <laughs> yeah so a 12-inch woofer i mean it's not a small you know stand no it's a, a lower. you know they show it with and without a stand um in some of the promo shots, the one without a stand is the original version, which I think is more attractive. It's just got the little MC. The older version just had the little MC logo on the grill cover. Um, the new version has that MC logo on the grill cover. It has Macintosh written if you t- on the on the uh on the speaker itself on the front baffle, and mm-hmm. kind of a 3D standout. Macintosh ML1 on the face of the of the wooden stand, so just in case you missed the first references. It's Macintosh, you know you've got you've got a third. Um,
0: so is this a bit like a JBL L100 classic? Yeah, yes. so it's like the Macintosh I won't say equivalent to that, but it, isn't it beautiful that they named it after you
1: M L1 Yeah, well, they named the original after me, you know, because in the seventies <laughs> I was certainly a lot cooler. Right. What with my platform shoes and leisure suits?
0: <laughs> leisure suits are they like? Oh, they made of toweling. Is that? I don't even know what they are. Oh, no, yes, I do. Polyester, man. Oh, polyester. absolutely disgusting. That's oh, not yeah. an image I need. Is like a thirty-year-old Lavonia. Or a 20-year-old who in a leisure suit.
1: Oh, no, I was a teen. That, that oh, okay. Was, that, those were my... Uh... <laughs> Sorry, I don't
0: know. Gee, <laughs> how old do you think I am? <laughs> I don't know. It's like at least 70. I don't you know. I think no. I was
1: 30 in the 70s? Damn. Mm. I get to start exercise. <laughs>
0: <Mm-mm>. <laughs> I don't know. It's just... So I, 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 yeah. I guess I kind of didn't really do the math because I was distracted by my motorbike-loving neighbor here. who uh. just loves just Loves to arrive and just rev his motorbike before he puts it quietly in his garage. Like, what are you just? Do you have to announce your arrival? That you that much of an ego maniac? That <laughs> you need to kind of just give it a few revs? I don't know whether there's an engineering reason for revving it before you turn it off. Maybe uh, there is. Maybe
1: he's, yeah. Who knows, man? Maybe oh, he's yeah. got an oil leak and he wants to blow it
0: out. <laughs> I don't know, but Shit, yeah. Voice. Anyway, sorry. yeah So yeah, Macintosh ML1 loudspeaker.
1: Yeah, lots of badges, <laughs> and they do list it as a. Six thousand per speaker, or twelve thousand per pair, uh, and okay. they are available starting uh, next month.
0: Let's move on because the um, the news item that I actually put in our notes I'm not going to talk about. I'm going to talk about something completely different, which uh. was announced only last week by another great American hi fi company. That's Klipsch, and they've announced two very affordable new sets of powered speakers, and they are called the R. 40 p.m. and the r 50 p.m. and they are successors to the r 41 p.m. and the r 51 p.m. And numerically, it seems like they're going backwards, but that's not really the case Hmm. because these new versions are slightly bigger. The cabinets have been made uh, deeper so that they can Hmm. increase the bass response of each loudspeaker. So each of them are two-way. They both use the same aluminum tweeter because it's an American speaker, and they both use a spun copper mid bass driver, that kind of yeah copper color driver you see on lots of Klipsch loudspeakers. Hmm. But on the larger one, that mid bass driver is thirteen centimeters. On the smaller one, it's ten. So that means that the smaller one, the forty PM, goes down to sixty hertz, and the fifty PM goes down to fifty-five hertz. So it looks like Klipsch have decided well yeah, maybe we could make this speaker more appealing to customers by giving it a better bass response. Hmm. But that's really not the end of it because these speakers really are systems in boxes in that they have all the connectivity on the back of the primary lab speaker. So there's a DAC inside, there's a phono stage inside. You can access the DAC over USB, Toslink, or Bluetooth. And, oh, and it's got a phono input, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's phono. yeah. So Nice, yeah. There's a lot going on for not very much money. I mean, we can talk about pricing now. The 40 PM is 500 US dollars, and the 50 PM is 600 US dollars. And these are not actives though, because the secondary speaker connects the primary over a normal piece of loudspeaker cable, which is included in the box. So it's just a powered loudspeaker. So there mm-hmm. are passive crossovers, I assume, in each. But it's kind of it's really weird with clips because they only ever really talk openly about powered loudspeakers and some powered loudspeakers are active Mm. and some powered loudspeakers like these are not and the difference is the way i understand it is basically in an active loudspeaker the crossover comes before the amplification but in this i think yeah the signal goes to a passive crossover in each loudspeaker and then that divides up the signal post-amplification. But where it gets mm-hmm, always woolly mm-hmm. for me is, is Klipsch's dynamic bass EQ because what they've done, they've put Fletcher Munson correction in each loudspeaker. So basically, as you turn the volume down, the bass level slowly gets tilted up because our ears are less sensitive at low volumes mm. to bass. So the dynamic bass EQ is something they put in a lot of their powered loudspeakers which are also active but also these ones which are not active so i don't know how they're doing the dynamic bass eq outside of dsp it's just a bit vague and i've only got the press release Mm. to go on so i don't know how they're doing it and whether the dsp comes before i mean it has to guess yeah come before the amplification so that's a bit of a woolly one for me so if i were reviewing these i'm not but if i were then i would be asking about that
1: i'm on the eclipse website and i just wanted to say that the at least the r40s are currently on sale for
0: 374 a pair this is the new one the r40 pm yeah at 25 percent off all new interesting that is a good price
1: less than five in stock
0: (laughs) right you know what i like about this especially for for this price point where beginners are generally shopping is It doesn't ask them to kind of go, okay, I need to choose my speakers and then choose my amp and then choose my DAC and my phono stage. Yeah. And then how the fuck do I wire it all together? I've got no idea. The dealer will help me there. Choose all the cabling. And it just becomes a huge jigsaw puzzle. And it hmm. doesn't need to be. You know, this kind of thing is just a one box, walk yeah. it out of the store, go home, plug in the main speaker, connect the primary to the secondary with speaker cable, and you're off to the races, which I think is fantastic.
1: Yeah. I like the look as well. You know, the black with the the copper driver Mm -hmm. and the copper is reflected in the Klipsch
0: logo on the front. It's nice. Yeah. And there aren't too many logos. (laughs) (laughs) There's only one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's pretty cool. I mean, I just, yeah, as an affordable entry level system in a box times two, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting, but that's the only news item in the last couple of weeks (sighs) that has really kind of caught my attention because... Yeah, we're just in this kind of weird quiet time. There were loads obviously coming up to Munich and then at Munich, but Yes. It's it's yeah, you know, Munich what is was six weeks ago now, five weeks ago. I'm not talking about it anymore. I know we plan to in this podcast, but it's taken us well, us <laughs> three weeks to get our collective shit together to, yes. <laughs> to sit down and do it, right? So yeah. so that means that the next news item and the one mm. afterwards, so your next one, my next one, are gonna be a little bit different, right? Yeah, yeah, they are. I
1: would like to talk about uh, Rick Rubin was on 60
0: Minutes mm-hmm.
1: recently.
0: Can you explain to international listeners what 60 Minutes is?
1: Yeah, sure. 60 Minutes is a weekly news magazine, I would call it. Mm-hmm. Um, airs every Sunday night. And, you know, they they cover a very broad range of, of topics. Mm. Um, a- it's and I would say you know, it used to be certainly used to be the case. I don't watch it all the time these days, but anyway, it used to be the case that, you know, they were doing some real journalism <laughs> mm. right <laughs> there. So, um, so they they visited, uh, uh, what's oh, God, Anderson Cooper. Anderson mm-hmm. Cooper went and visited Rick Rubin and interviewed him. Mm-hmm. So, you got a little walk around, a very little walk around some of the studio spaces. Mm-hmm. Of Shangri-La, which is what he calls his home slash recording studios. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are multiple uh, studios. And you know, the conversation was about process and knowledge and which was <laughs> you know, I mean anybody who's familiar with Rick Rubin, let's say if you're not familiar with Rick Rubin at all, visually he looks like a big um uh careful <laughs> you know i'm trying to yeah i know he's he's teddy bearish but with a very very long beard and yep. wild hair you know graying mm-hmm. graying beard wild hair always oh, nicely tanned he lives in california i believe this home is on the coast or very near the coast i mean it's pretty i've seen photos uh, of the home as well it's pretty mm. spectacular and I guess it's fair to say he's a very spiritual person. So he actually asked Anderson Cooper to meditate for two minutes before they began the interview.
0: Right, yes. So I, I did watch this actually earlier on because I didn't know Rick Rubin had produced was it Slayer or was it was was a metal band in there somewhere? Yeah, he did it apparently I didn't I didn't know that either. Apparently was that in the eighties he did a bunch. Right, because I only know him as sort of early hip hop producer, and then Johnny Cash, and then mm. I'll, I'll forgive him for this: the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can't. I'm not going to pick on the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Today. No, I
0: do it enough. You don't have to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, didn't wasn't he involved in the latest Neil Young record as well? I think he was.
1: Yeah, I, I believe he was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was. In, you know, it was. It was an interesting interview for me because I learned a bunch of things. That's always nice. Mm. I did. You know, I didn't really know the extent of his influence on hip hop. Uh, Chuck D was interviewed as part of this program, mm. and essentially, he said, "Really, without Rick Rubin, hip hop would never have been what it became." I mean, he was a pivotal, you know, player in the
0: movement. I mean, I thought it was hilarious that he started Def Jam Records from his college dorm room. <laughs> God, yeah. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, man. Yeah. Just, yeah. Some
1: people, you know. I think it was as a sophomore's when he started Def Jam Records. Yeah. Right. Clearly, yeah. Uh, you know, someone very focused and driven at a young age.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess anybody that's been to Munich High End, we just, oh, I just mentioned it, knows that Rick Rubin is an audiophile and travels to that High End audio show every year or three Mm-hmm. And walks around as a as a customer. Um, he's exceptionally gracious yeah. when interrupted for selfies. Like he is a, a true gentleman yes. because he must get hassled nonstop.
1: I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, I used to see him. He also used to come to CES when it was still a thing. Yeah. Um, that's where I encountered him a few times. Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm pretty sure that Mr. Rubin has very varied music tastes probably far more varied well no definitely felt far more varied than mine Mm -hmm. but it's kind of interesting how even unofficially he is championed as a visitor of munich and yet at munich you would almost never maybe johnny cash would be an exception never hear any music ever produced by (laughs) rick rubin especially (laughs) hip-hop right you're just not going to hear it so I know that, you know, he probably digs into the classical and the, the other stuff and the jazz that gets played. Like mm. I say, he has more varied tastes than mine. But it, isn't it interesting how... Mm. Well, you know, actually, it just reminded me of... of um, it was the Klipsch Room in Munich that had this wall on the side next to their big... Lask- they had a big La I think it was La the big, new, enormous Klipsch loudspeakers. Oh, the Jubilee. <clears throat> Jubilee, okay. And on the side was a wall that was decorated with some art. That showed classic album posters like from Bowie, Rammstein, Mm. just, you know, cool albums. Yeah. Just really interesting stuff. Mm. And yet they were not playing anything close to that kind of stuff in the room. And I'm seeing this a lot recently where manufacturers are attempting to trade on the history of what I would consider to be very interesting music, cool music. But then when it comes to demoing their stuff at hi-fi shows, they don't want anything to do with it because yeah. the audience doesn't want it. Hmm. I think that's a very interesting – I won't call it hypocrisy because it's not, but it's a very interesting dichotomy. You know, I saw there was a, a British speaker cable company who recently, I don't know, posted 50 posts of 50 classic British albums, and yet you wouldn't hear a single one of them at an audio show, not ever. You know? Yeah. and I, I yeah. Anyway, this is just an aside because I think there's a there's a big – cultural divide between rick rubin and then musically in terms of his career and his cv and what goes on at your average hi-fi show in terms of music choices. certainly certainly
1: yeah yeah the last bit i of just the last thing i would want to highlight um which i found interesting anderson cooper was basically asking for his credentials Like, so do you play an instrument? No, not really. Do you know how to use a soundboard? No, I don't. Mm. (laughs) So Anderson Cooper in the end was like, so what do you do? (laughs) Like, so what is it you bring to the table? And Mm. essentially he said it's his taste. You know, it's his ability to to know what feels right. He kept, the word feeling came up. I'm sure you, if you watched it, the word feeling, feelings came up a lot, probably more than any other word which I would imagine, actually, I did peek. I saw some comments online, you know, of course, <laughs> yeah, uh, whatever. Yeah, yeah, you can't. You, I mean, online is the dumping ground for any number of human foibles. So that's just the way it goes. Right. Um, but n- nonetheless, I, I thought it was interesting. Um, but in the end, the few mu- musicians they <clears throat> spoke to, Adele being one of them, Mm. I mentioned Chuck D. But he has this tendency to bring out things from the musicians that they themselves uh m- weren't quite aware of or missed. I mean, one one actually, I'll do this will be the last. But my actually my favorite story he told, Tom Petty sent him a bunch of rough mixes. Uh they were working together. He sent mm. them, I think it was four songs. And in between two of the tracks, there was a little, because uh, it's it's just a rough cu- rough cut. Mm-hmm. So there's somebody just you know playing a guitar in between, kind of warming up for the next track. And Rick Rubin said it was the only thing he liked, <laughs> <laughs> so he told Tom Petty that, and that became Mary Jane. Right. Um, so uh, this notion, uh, uh, you know that. Uh, If you look at someone like Rick Rubin on one hand that knew, wait a minute, he doesn't know how to do this, he doesn't know how to do that. But he has this other, clearly this other skill that he's applied to people ranging from, uh, you know, public enemy to Johnny Cash to uh, Tom Petty. You know, so yeah,
0: it's pretty interesting. I thought the interesting thing that he said for me was that he is confident in his own tastes. Yes. His basically his opinions about things. Yeah. Which I thought, you know, that's what he's being paid for. He's basically to s- steer people towards the best version of themselves for those yes. kinds of artistic moments. Mm-hmm. And that sort of it made it made me think of Rick Rubin as like the the American version of Brian Eno, who does similar things in studios, mm-hmm. you know, you know, mm-hmm. plays card mm-hmm. games and you know instructs people to kind of, I don't know, swap instruments or you know, Mm -hmm. accentuate mistakes or things like that, you know? So it's just, it's studio techniques, really, I think, a lot Mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. But it's, yeah, it's absolutely interesting. and I'll make sure to put the link to this video in the show notes, this podcast, which will be over at Darko.audio. That is not DarkoAudio.com, although that does work, because I knew that there'd be some people out there who would mistakenly think it was the case so yeah i have two urls that do work just for people that i know yeah anyway darko.audio is the the way to get well the links that video and also the link to our next video which is my chosen news item for this week or another one because i you know i obviously saw michael that you were going to talk about that youtube video and i thought no hang Mm -hmm. on a minute i've got a youtube video that i think everybody should watch and it's called gaslighting your fans with dolby atmos Hmm. And it's by a chap called Ben Jordan, who runs a successful YouTube channel. But Ben Jordan, I guess, started out as an electronic musician uh, under the name of The Flashbulb. And he, I think he sort of steered mm. away from that mm. in the last 10 years, especially, well, certainly in the last five, since his YouTube channel has grown. And maybe he's just not making a lot of money from you know, selling his records in the new streaming economy. I, I, he has spoken a lot about this on his channel, so I don't want to misquote the guy. But he made a video about Dolby Atmos that I wish I had made because I just thought it was brilliant. And he didn't tackle it from a musician's point of view, even though he could have done. Mm-hmm. Basically, he looked at Atmos and and just really concluded that, like a lot of audio file stuff, a lot of new formats, because it is a new format relatively speaking,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it involves mm-hmm. a significant investment in new equipment and would produce results that might not be noticeable to the average listener, right? And he also reckons that on top of this, well, basically because he buys a couple of fairly typical Atmos, I'm doing air quotes right now, Atmos-equipped headphones and soundbars, right? Because I think a lot of people Mm -hmm. would be drawn to an Atmos-capable soundbar. I know that I tested one in in the Sonos Arc last year, and I thought it was pretty poor, Hmm. Um, you can watch my video on that. I'm not going to labor that point right now. But Ben Jordan also tested some headphones. He, he basically just feels that this is just a way to extract more money from the okay. consumer and, for, and from musicians as well. And, sure. uh, you know, like, and I think he, he starts the video with the, uh, you know, with the, the, the old classic. And you and I and many audiophiles have heard this over the years, you know, like basically – Dolby Atmos or insert any new format is, you know, you're not you're not hearing what the artist intended until you hear it in Atmos or DSD mm. or MQA or <laughs> SACD <laughs> or dvd Right? We can go all the way back or quadraphonic or a track. Mm. You know, it's just, it's just. A, that's why he calls it gaslighting. You know, nah. it's just. I thought it was c- kind of clever, but. It, Obviously, I can't encapsulate the video. I can't even do it justice. It's hmm. it's very well done. You might not agree. I mean, I didn't agree with everything he said, but I'm just, I don't know, Michael. I mean, I, I know that you and I have spoken about this many times, but when I started covering Hi-Fi in 2010, I, you know, I, I wasn't really aware of how much a certain very vocal segment of the hi-fi let's call it the community Mm. chases the new toy Mm. so when i first came i think my first no second hi-fi show 2012 was the home entertainment show or the show in orange county and i was kind of i was really surprised by the number of people were just at the time asking does this new DAC do dsd does it do dsd does it do dsd DSD?" (laughs) Because it's being pushed upon them as the next big thing. And yep. as we know, that didn't materialize, right? Yes. And we've been through the same thing with MQA. I think we're still going through it with high-res in general. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you know, does it do high-res? Does it do high res? Like it, it must do high-res. Yeah, must it? You know, I just I don't know. So and now now, now that the high-res train is just moving very slowly and only for audio files really it's not a mainstream concern i don't think anyway and i've made a video about that as well i'll put a link to that (laughs) in the description box because that's sure to fire some people up but it's just like we're now we're into another you know two or three year cycle of a new format being the new plaything of bleeding edge focused audio files which is fine right if that's you Hmm. and you want to kind of be all bleeding edge about it i guess i'm just a bit hardened to the whole promise of this being the future and that more music will come the more people get get into it because that is not the case as we've you know the past has taught us that a lot Mm. of these formats like dsd or sacd or DVDA, just die away and the other thing (laughs) the other thing about atmos it kills me actually is that to get, basically, to get lossless Atmos streams, because basically you need, like, many channels of information, right? So you need, yeah. like, is it eight, nine channels? So you need eight, nine lossless streams for all the channels. You basically need a Blu-ray disc. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's the only way, because there is a niche streaming service, I think, that's starting up. But that's hmm. not going to have any mainstream music, as far as I know. But anyway, if you want mainstream music, you've got to try and find a Blu-ray disc. And and this year I've seen the Hmm. last Orbital album was done on this format. So was a Brian Eno album, a Tears for Fears. You'll often find Stephen Wilson mixes and these kinds of things. But these discs are as rare as Hen's Teeth. And very often they're in these kind of expensive box sets. Hmm. So you have to buy the box set to get the Blu-ray disc with the lossless Atmos stream on it, right? Because I know that a lot of audiophiles are very sensitive to their audio being lossless, right? We've seen this on the internet where people get, you know, they go crazy about stuff not being lossless. And yes. I, can sort of, yes. I can sort of understand why, right? But, you know, when people start talking, of those, those kinds of people start talking about, oh, but you can get loads of Atmos from Apple Music. I'm like, yeah, but why aren't you getting agitated by the fact that it's not lossless? Because it's not it's many many little lossy streams coming into your headphones or into your hi-fi system although i have to qualify with this i I don't do surround sound i don't have atmos here because that's the other thing isn't it right it's that you need to put speakers in your ceiling now i've got an acoustically treated ceiling and so that's never gonna it's never gonna work the two are not compatible (laughs) and a lot of um soundbars or let's say soundbar and satellite systems that are supposedly Atmos capable. You've seen the animations on the manufacturer's website, hmm. like Samsung and Sonos, where they're showing how the sound comes out of the soundbar, hits the ceiling, and then <laughs> bounces off and then arrives at the listener, right? Which uh-huh. I just think is absolutely absurd because what that's saying is, is like, you need a reflective surface above you, hmm. right? And I know from having treated two rooms now and also watching Cameron from Golden Sound's recent video on room treatments which is also very good i'll link that in the description mm. below is that the ceiling making it non-reflective has far more of an impact on what you'll hear from stereo than mm. anything you'll get from having fake dolby atmos bounced off the ceiling at you you know i just I just <laughs> think the whole thing and this is what jordan talks about in his video just mm. it's batshit like, you know, there are just so many ways to kind of point out contradictions in the industry or with audio files. I, I can't, there's, can I keep talking? I'm sorry. I know I'm ranting a bit, Michael. Like, no, it's actually, fine. I, no, you know what? Let me, let me stop and let me like, <laughs> hey, Michael, what do you think? <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm
1: going to start, I'm going to start by pointing out two things. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is in relation to how you kind of, you know, preface this and that is to say, audio stream when I used to be the editor of audio stream mm-hmm. uh, which was Stereophiles' standalone site for computer audio that launched the site launched in 2011 just a week prior to the Rocky Mountain audio fest mm-hmm. so that was really the first big blast of content was my show coverage of Rocky Mountain 2011 and the big buzz at that show was DSD mm-hmm Mytek had just released their first uh, consumer DSD capable DAC. It wasn't the first DSD capable DAC, but it was the first relatively inexpensive—not inexpensive, not inexpensive uh, but it was yeah. a couple grand. No,
0: you're right. It was it was the most affordable DSD capable DAC. At it the was the most affordable. Yeah.
1: yeah, the next step up was over five grand or so. So yeah. you know, but anyway, not, and Sony did a presentation with a bunch of DSD content, blah blah blah. So it was the story it was really the big story and I was all over because that's my job, right? Reporting Mm -hmm. on the story. So I covered DSD. I was enthusiastic about things. I heard demos. I heard some recordings. I heard so on and so forth. And I will also say that I did something very similar when MQA was first released at CES. I can't remember the year. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there were, there were a number of demos uh, done at CES For MQA, it was the buzz of the show, and and I say that I've not experienced any buzz that was uh, to that level at a hi-fi show before or since. Mm -hmm. I had people coming up to me in the hallway saying, "You've got to hear this!" Blah 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 blah. You know, uh, attendees, manufacturers, people that had nothing to do with the business of MQA. So Mm. all to say, I covered it. I you know, I covered it more than just at that show. Oh. I was enthusiastic about some of the recordings I heard and said so. so that's I just wanted to get to clear that air um mm-hmm. uh, and to say that I doubt um that I will be talking about Atmos. any time ever, probably unless um invited to a demo, but even that I've learned. Is and that's about as interesting as going to a restaurant and writing about a dinner that will only be served once to one person. It's like oh, it was really good, but you can't have it. Right. You know, it's like uh, so my so and all of my comments about or any comments I have to make about Atmos have nothing to do with how it sounds when properly done or anything like that at all, because I've not heard it. Right. So I just want to make that all that clear and, you know, say me a culpa, me a culpa. I've jumped on new formats. I've been enthusiastic about them in the past. Mm. I am not enthusiastic about Dolby Atmos. And the main reason is I, I, I when I was much younger, I, I've lived through getting excited about a music format to the extent that it guides the music i listen to i'm not saying that was the case with dsd or mqa because mm. it wasn't but i know people who did it's like oh does that come a double dsd oh then i'll get it and if not i won't like to me that that's the end of enjoyment for me that's the it, tail wagging the dog it's a tail wagging the dog yeah when a yes. music format like oh did you hear this great new record from so and so oh is it Atmos? no yeah i'm not interested because it's not going to be coming at me from all these different angles whatever mm. it's not going to be immersive but bl- i just it's like maybe i'm too cranky and too old to get excited about something that requires me to buy new music new hardware rearrange my room and on and on and on and pretty much
0: it, hmm. i mean it, it goes further than that doesn't it because if you want to put like a proper atmos system in your house Mm. you have to put speakers in the ceiling mm. and off the sides so, like it's a major major undertaking it's not even a home theater in a box where you can just walk it home and then you know plug it in which is what a lot of these companies are trying to sell us on with their sort of soundbar satellite subwoofer kits right yeah with you know bouncing the sound off the ceiling at the listener at the couch which no and then ben jordan calls bullshit on that as well I own many years. Not even. I'm sorry.
1: It's not even. Let me just say, about ten or twelve years ago. I don't know, mm. something in that time frame. When I was writing for Audio Stream, it certainly was that time frame. I bought a sound bar. I did for our house. Mm. It lasted maybe a month, and I ripped it out of the wall one <laughs> night. <laughs> and poured gasoline on it and burned it. You did not.
0: Really? I did. That's super dramatic. Had you been drinking, Michael? Um, No. <laughs> okay. No. I was... Um, just angry, I, just annoyed by its sound. It
1: was such a piece of total shit. Hmm. This whole idea that you're going to get some sense of, you know, of of surround and blah, blah. It was the biggest piece of shit I'd ever heard. And yeah. it made my brain work so hard just to try and right. make things sensible. Forget about listening to music through it. It was worse than a transistor radio. And I will, so on that note, like I will say back when I... Eesh, I guess I'm feeling nostalgic, but back when I wrote for six months, I did a bunch of these things I called road tours. I would go Mm -hmm. visit people's homes, listen to their hi fi and then write about it. Not sound quality, the story, how did these people get into hi-fi, why did they buy this particular hi-fi, so on. One Mm. of the places I went to, this guy, he had a main system that was old quads, refurbished quads with an old leak amp, blah, 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 blah. Sounded spectacular. This is in Manhattan. But in his bedroom, he had a uh, a console uh, record player that played 78s that he bought at a flea market for like 60 bucks. Uh-huh. You know, built in speaker the whole bit. And he played uh, a 78 of this Mexican uh, folk music. And it was one of the most hair-raisingly uh, vital sounds I've ever heard come out of a hi-fi. Hmm. Um, and I mean that quite literally. And I was with a bunch of other people. Everyone, as soon as that music started coming out of that cheap little built-in speaker, everyone was like, "Holy shit! What is going on here?" And so, all to say, um, I like stereo uh, is more than enough for me.
0: I mean. I was Yeah, and no, actually I will talk about a, a good thing and a bad thing, or a good experience I've had with Atmos and a bad one. Hmm. I'll start with the bad one, which was that Sonos Arc. Now, even before I get to criticising its lack of height, and a lot of my audience were like, John, well, you've got treated sidewalls, so of course it's not going to work properly because it needs the reflective surfaces, which hmm. is, speaks to my earlier point of reverberation in a room. You need it to make the soundbar do its thing, but that's inherently detrimental usually to stereo sound Mm. but even apart from that even just put sound quality to one side for a moment the soundbar doesn't sound very wide stereo separation is not good is that you know you connected to your tv system using hdmi arc and i was using apple music right Mm. so it was registering uh an atmos stream because the sonos app told me it was and there were a whole bunch of new titles on apple music which you know apple music is quite good in pushing new stuff and a couple of things i noticed were that i think on one iggy pop album only one song was done in atmos the rest of it was just stereo okay. which i thought was really weird mm. uh, but then there was a jeff mills like mix, which was like oh jeff mills spatial audio dolby atmos hurrah But it wasn't even fucking gapless. Like, if you can't get gapless playback to work on your Atmos decoder Mm. inside your soundbar, get out of my face. You know, like, what are you doing? Mm. So these are fundamentals. that The hardware, or I don't know whether it's Apple Music or whether it's Sonos, but it's the combination of the two, couldn't even get the, the fundamentals correct. So again, it's just like, is this really good enough for music? But... I'll, I'll, I'll share my positive experience. And this Mm. comes from using Apple AirPods max and pro two is that all of the talking Heads stuff was redone or remixed by Jerry Harrison. Mm. who was the guitarist and keyboard player for talking heads. He did the entire catalog and uh, listening to those made my, yeah, made my, I don't even, I can't think of the words. It was incredible. Now, Maybe I was getting excited about the remix state of those songs because there were vocal twists from David Byrne that I hadn't noticed before. The separation of instruments was Mm -hmm. much better Mm -hmm. than on the stereo mixes. But it's hard to know whether, you know, how much can be attributed to Jerry Harrison's remix and how much can be attributed to the format coalescing into stereo headphones. I don't really know. Mm I've got to say, like you, I don't really know a lot about the technical side of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the, but the promise you know like the promise of immersive audio which is essentially what we're talking about here is that you, you know you're surrounded by sound now as i've said to have that experience at home is a major undertaking it's like it's basically home home improvement it's the construction work right
1: mm-hmm. yeah well, it would be for yeah you know, for us right
0: and if Atmos was just that, if the only way you could play it back in your house was to put speakers behind you, above you, to your sides in front of you, then it would be dead already. It, no one would care because that's just far too much for most people. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's far too much for me, and I have like I'm looking at four speakers right now because I'm, you know, I like to have a choice, which is just madness for most people. Anyway, but the I think the saving, well, what might save or what might make Atmos popular. Is headphones, because it, most people I would think listen to music behind headphones rather than in front of a what we would call a proper hi-fi system. Even those little clip speakers that I you know, just spoke about, mm. you know, most people I think would have at home. They'd have a Bluetooth speaker or a soundbar, but their most immersive, in air quotes, listening experience would be their headphones, Bluetooth paired to their smartphone. And if they've got Apple Music, they can tap into mm-hmm. it. Spatial audio Atmos content, right? Yeah, and I think that that's pretty good, but I don't know how much that is delivering on, or how close that gets to the proper Atmos experience. I've got no idea
1: yeah, because, yeah.
0: like you, I've not really had an Atmos experience. Well, not one worth worth noting or worth talking about in a in a physical space with speakers, you know, built in my room. And I did see that um, Chris Conacher at Audio File Style has just—he spent a year with a Wilson, an all Wilson Atmos system, basically, right? And it's a quarter of a million dollars. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm gobsmacked by that. That's a lot of money to put into an attic room to get yourself like the immersive audio experience. Especially when, and this is the kicker. This is where I'm really trying to get to here. Hmm. Is that? it only atmos is only relevant to like a few hundred albums a few there will be the same old warhorse albums generally speaking as well hmm. but the reason i also i won't speak for you michael you can chime in in a moment but hmm. the reason i have a hi-fi system as i do the reason i have good headphones the reason i do any of this is because it makes all all of my music sound amazing all of the music i have available to me right mm-hmm. it's yeah. not like oh it's just these 20 titles over here which has always been the Achilles heel, every single pretty much new format that has come our way since, I oh since forever, really. It's like, Oh, it's just, you know, it's just these 20 albums, but more will come. Hmm. And I know that on Apple music, there, there is much more, but to bring it back to my earlier point, it's all lossy streams. So you have to be okay with lossy streams, right? So I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't, yeah. I mean, um, again it's like a i'm i'm speaking from from a point of no experience so I can't comment on any uh, the experiential aspect of it mm.
0: uh
1: but i'm i'm looking at uh there was a, a a recent article in the New York Times about this very subject mm-hmm. and um i'm looking at one quote i can't find it uh, someone, uh, he must be, uh, someone involved in that was the, I can't find his first name. They're referencing something from earlier in the article. But, uh, the, so what it says, listening to Dolby Atmos mixes in a professional recording studio can be a powerful experience. The quote, it's remarkably, dis- uh, it's remarkably seductive, said Clear Mountain, who's done out. Bob out- Mountain. His name's Bob. Okay who's done Atmos projects for Springsteen, Rolling Stones, and others. Quote, I've Mm -hmm. played Atmos tracks for so many people who say I can never listen to stereo again. And Mm -hmm. uh, to me, that is the
0: biggest piece
1: of horseshit I've ever heard.
0: <laughs> it, it's 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 exactly what Ben Jordan is talking about. It's gas it, gaslighting
1: your fans. Yeah, it's it's exactly what fuck I'm sorry. Oops, I got excited there. It's <laughs> exactly what Neil Young was saying about Pono. Yes. You know having people in his car like, oh, this is how the mu blah 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 it's gonna change everything. This idea. That technology is going to suddenly make young people get excited about hi-fi and buy systems with twelve speakers and blah. It's all a bunch of horseshit. Because yeah. the thing is, it's we're talking about if music is the thing that gets people excited. Hi-fi only gets audiophiles excited. That's the end of the story. Uh, this idea that, oh, spatial audio is going to turn everyone into this super geek, you know, that's going to want to. It's just shit. It's marketing bullshit. One of the guys in this article, you know, he's recording engineer. He's like, yeah, I, I figure I'll get into it because... I may as well be the one responsible for remixing my old albums that I engineered originally because I don't want anybody else fucking them up and I'll get a nice paycheck in the end. So this is the music business Mm. shoveling the same old shit down our throats in a new format that we're also. So one of my biggest bugaboos, uh, you could probably tell, that gets (laughs) me going is asking me to buy the same music 18 fucking times in my life. Oh, you have to have the LP. Oh, you have to have the cassette. Oh, you have to have the CD. Oh, you have to have the high-res. Oh, you have to have DST, double DSD. Oh, you have to have the MQA version. Oh, now you have the Amos version. I'm like, blow me. It's like, fuck you. <laughs> I want to listen to fucking music. I don't want to listen to your shit-ass technology takes on how I'm supposed to digest the music I love. It's like it's like, oh, I can, oh, I love food, but I can only go to one restaurant that serves eight dishes because it's the best. It's the most serious food, and it makes me forget about any other food I ever wanted.
0: Like, oh God, I'm so tired of that. F- nonsense. you know what? You know, I was trying to talk about this with somebody the other day, and i was I was saying, if we moved into the car world, right, what <laughs> the Atmos proposition is basically this is that, okay we're going to offer you a new car. It will drive you around. It's a self-driving car, which is incredible, right? Mm. But it needs to have 12 wheels to do so, Mm. right? You got to have 12 wheels on your car, right? So that's a lot of, you know, tire replacements over time and, you know, but that's what it needs. It needs 12 wheels. Mm. But the other thing is, is that you can only drive it on (laughs) – approved road surfaces yes exactly right so it has to be a road that's been laid by a a certain i know construction company or whoever lays roads Mm. and it has to be signed off you know by a, a sort of an overseeing body you know that kind of authorizes and certifies it as a um yeah essentially this like hyper vehicle approved road right yeah but here comes the kicker there are only 15 miles of road in the entire country <laughs> that you can drive it on. And it's like that. That's, right. that's what I'm here. It's what I'm hearing. When, especially when it comes to the Atmos with the speakers, right? With the headphones, you know, it's z- literally zero effort to get hmm. Apple music or I haven't really played with the titles or Sony 360 audio, but it's, you know, uh, I just, I will listen to the talking head stuff, but, I still think that, you know, if I play the original albums with my hi-fi system here or with a, a very expensive, not even very expensive, a very good pair of headphones, it's still a near religious experience and I can get excited about that because then I don't go, oh, what album should I play next? And I can't with Atmos because it's like, oh, what album should I play next? Oh, there isn't anything that I like. Really? I mean, I do love Dark Side of the Moon, but I don't hmm. need to to necessarily be always fed that every time as a new format, the same with the CD stuff. <laughs> it's the same albums, always albums that I really do like, but it's just, it, it makes me want to chew my own hands off <laughs> the, the record producers. And they're all like sixties and in their sixties and seventies are always talking about the same records, like revolver and highway 61 revisit <laughs> amazing records. Yes. But why are you guys always talking about the same records every time a new format comes out? Hmm. It drives me potty. Yeah. Because I, like I said before, I want you know a a new format, if it exists, to be relevant to, if not all of my music, but at least ninety percent. And this really? is why I get I'm pretty down on high res because hmm. it's only available for let, let's say it's twenty percent now. Let's let's be generous, right? Twenty percent of you know all music available is available in high res but the audible gains are tiny. Like, if uh, if any, if yeah. any, the if same if with any.
1: Atmos. I've read some people writing about Atmos <laughs> who have reviewed it and some Atmos mixes suck.
0: Yes, there, there is that actually. That's a very good point.
1: So it's not the case yeah. that we're like, oh, Atmos is great. No, it's well done Atmos with a properly set up system. It's like, how many fucking caveats do I need to listen to Dark Side of the Moon again? Like yeah. really, uh, it really is know. that.
0: It is that. I mean, I know that <laughs> this is the most most fired up I've ever heard you, Michael. I mean, like, you get pretty fired up, and probably more than me most of the time. And <laughs> yeah. we haven't even got to the grumpy part of the podcast yet. Not really. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Well, you you got to save some fire, Michael, for the next section because oh, you so don't need it. It's kind of endless. <laughs> I, I hate
1: to have to admit that, but <laughs> it's really a bottomless pit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you catch me on the right day, boy. It just, it's, you know, volcanic in nature.
0: Yeah, no, I,
1: I get but, it. You know, again, it's, it's this overhyped. And believe me, I mean, when MQA, with MQA, people wanted to, Crucify Bob Stewart and his entire family Mm. for for having a hand in you know for for releasing MQA because in part it imposed so many restrictions on the listener. Mm. Oh, wait, I'm gonna have to buy special hardware, I'm gonna have to buy only this music. What if all music coming out is MQA and I'm forced to just buy that? And the, some of these same people are like got the big spoon in the bowl in front of them. Like, oh, I love this Atmos. All I have to do is buy all new hardware and listen to the 40 records that I like that are available in Atmos. This is great. This is the future of hi fi. It's like, what happened to this notion of being, you know, kind of funneled into this tiny little universe of music that requires a, an investment in a whole. System, I just, I don't know. It's I, whatever, man. But more power to people who enjoy it and who find that it's helping them get more excited about you know music. If I got any more excited about music, you know, I what they'd have to lock me the fuck up because I would literally <laughs> spend every penny that we made on just buying more and more records. Mm. You know, it's just uh, it is. It's a it's a sensitive spot for me because in part. Uh, uh, you know, in part, one of the things uh, that uh, our hobby—if you we call it that—you know, audiophiles get this kind of bad rep for is being gear obsessed people who listen to twelve recordings. Yes. And that's what anyone who's into Atmos at the moment, maybe it's more than 12, but <laughs> Jesus. It's not many more, right? No, yes, yes. and it, it coincides. Oh really, God, am I really got my I, I should really start drinking. It coincides with uh, the availability of multiple st- uh, lossless streaming services in many a country. So, the day we, you know, the time we have this like mind blowingly amazing resource of endless music for not a lot of money uh, that sounds spectacular, we're Mm. all supposed to go, ah, you know, I can't really get
0: excited about that anymore because I've heard sound coming out of the ceiling. You know, you mentioned the MQA connection there you know people getting excited well you know people hating on mqa for various reasons and i'm not saying they're not legitimate complaints but one of the biggest complaints that i saw uh, certainly in my comment section was that it was lossy people yes. hated the fact it was lossy right yep. Yep. so what i'm seeing now is this maybe inclination towards contradictory behavior mm. in the you know, MQA being lossy was just the worst thing to happen to the music industry, along with a lot of other things. But all of a sudden, we're, we're, we're to accept that Apple Music and its Atmos streams being lossy is totally fine and well, not, not to be kind of hmm. questioned or quibbled about.
1: Well, to be, I think to fill out that objection to MQA's lossiness, um, part one aspect of that was uh, it was not marketed as such from the beginning.
0: Yeah, I understand that. But there is still that kind of latent hostility towards lossy content. It's the same with Bluetooth, it's the same with Spotify. Although, yeah, I guess Spotify doesn't get the same heat because A, it's a beer moth, and B, it was never anything but we know we stream lossy and that's it. Right. Although it right. looks it, it looks like the loss of Spotify is it is coming. And it, it it really is. Like I've seen a couple of articles this year that have move the story forward a little bit yeah yeah yeah. and i i spoke to somebody in munich who knows somebody who's actually working on you know inside spotify working on it so Ah. you know that is going to come so yeah you're right that is the biggest that's probably the biggest forward step that you know we have seen as music enthusiasts in the last 15 years i mean putting aside the politics of artist remuneration but basically being able to stream cd quality in the home for effectively free because ten dollars a month i'm sorry it's free yeah it's you know like i think that's incredible that's an astonishing achievement again and I, I, if i ruled the world it would be 50 bucks a month or 60 bucks a month so that artists could get paid properly but you know mm. I, I don't so it isn't yeah um, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. look I think we should save what we were going to talk about as main topic number one for the next episode, Michael, to make sure this, this episode doesn't blow out in length. Oh, good. Can I keep ranting about this? One? Well, yes, because we're moving on to yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just tapping into your current <laughs> mood. Um there was an audio advisor post on social media. Mm. Oh no, that, just, I'm sorry, that was Listen Up. Oh, is it, so I'm sorry, I do apologize. It was Listen Up wasn't audio advisor. Um let me just find it because I, I did repost it in various places. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, li- nice. l- listen up. Mm. Um, it was basically, "What are your audiophile red flags?" Mm-hmm. So they posted a little image of three red flags, and then beneath them were their current, I guess, three audiophile red flags. Yeah, and I'll just I'll quickly whip through them. The first one is that Bluetooth is better than wires. Mm. So I guess that relates mainly to headphones and not uh, necessarily not necessarily, but, well, not necessarily, but hmm. maybe in, okay, so if you're streaming at home, right generally you have or you or I would have two options right i could I could pull up a tidal stream or an apple music stream on my phone, and I could bluetooth it into the Cambridge Evo one fifty that I've got in front of me, right hmm. but I wouldn't do that because in doing so, even in that wireless stream, from the phone to the amp, it would be compressed lossy compressed by the bluetooth codec so probably in this case it would be aptx, but i'm not 100 percent sure on that right now so i would be taking a minor hit to sound quality and there's no need for me to do that because i could just use either i could use airplay with apple music or i could use i could use chromecast as well because i think there's mm. chromecast or i could use tidal connect and that basically tells the app what to pull down from the server apart from with airplay because airplay it goes via the phone mm-hmm. Guys, it, it, honestly there's always a little gotcha and there's always a little wrinkle <laughs> isn't there, with everything like it's even, even with chromecast it's not gapless so it's just anyway but basically that sort of wi-fi streaming or home network streaming would technically be of higher quality than the bluetooth stream so yes in the home I, there's no there's no need i'm still picking up my phone and firing up an app and then sorry my, my, i keep pushing pushing my phone and it keeps making noises <laughs> um i was finding that, that facebook post and one of my other videos is there um hmm. yeah so basically there's there's no there's no need for me to go with bluetooth over home network streaming really is there? there's no there's no need but out with headphones i think there is because well the the, the the fundamental reason to have Bluetooth headphones is not what you think it is. I don't think it's not to get rid of the wire. It's so that we can have access to niceties such as active noise cancellation, mm. which I think does a tremendous mm. amount of the heavy lifting for our listening experience when we're out in the street. Sure. Right. So you know that this this red flag was that like Bluetooth is better than wires. I don't a hundred percent agree always because listening out in the street with noise canceling headphones can be just as good as wired headphones with no noise cancellation. Mm, mm. It's a different kind of good, right? The, The wired headphone gives me the purity of music. Whereas the, the Bluetooth noise cancellation, active noise cancellation is a more pragmatic approach to music listening. I don't get the purity. Obviously, a lot of the external disturbances are pushed further away. So you have to decide which good you want. But I think in that particular case, oh, it'd be hard to say which one is remarkably better. And I know all the wired guys are going to be up in arms at me saying that. But, you know, I guess I'm more of a pragmatist than an idealist when it comes to listening on a plane or out in the street. You know, it depends whether I want purity or whether I want like a quiet background. It it's just right, right. depends, right? Sorry, wow! That was just the first one. Shit. you dove <laughs> deep there. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> What's the second red flag? Do you know what it is? Or do you want
1: me thinking, thinking amp power is everything.
0: Okay, what do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> like okay, so uh, is. Uh, is, uh, is is every 250 watt amplifier better than every 30 watt amplifier (laughs) no no not at all and it
1: yeah right it's yeah it's a um it's not taking the system into account which is a big mistake when putting together a system
0: right the context the speakers we're talking about really on me absolutely if you've got high efficiency speakers, then a five watt amplifier will be lovely, maybe, right? Or yeah, more it, than likely, maybe, yeah. yes, yeah, maybe. But if you've if you've got eighty five dB stand mounts, that five watt amplifier, uh uh-uh, and that's right. when you're going to need like a two hundred watt class D ball breaker,
1: maybe, <laughs> yeah. right? So- right. It also, but it, and it, oh, yeah, yeah, it gets down. It not only gets down to the specifics of both. Mm. Um, and how, whatever, the specifics of the speaker and the amplifier, but it also gets down to listening in right. the end. I mean, you could go crazy on paper with, you know, trying to figure everything out, what's going to be the best you know, and I believe me, I've heard from a lot of readers over the years who do exactly this, <laughs> you know, they're shopping on paper, according to specs. And it's like, oh, yeah, I think, you know, in the end, this app is going to be really good with those speakers because blah, blah, blah. And it's like, uh, oh, I've, I've heard that combination. It's not so great. I mean, you might like it, but I'm just saying I've heard it
0: not so great. So, you yeah. Know, it, yeah. I've been thinking about this a lot today in preparation for this podcast, right? And basically, yeah, the behavior you're talking about is filtering. We all need filters because there's, there are so many choices and we have to Mm. filter out the things that are not going to work for us or that we might not like and kind of keep the ones that we might like, you know, on our short list. Right Mm. now we all need filters. So one of the, the audiophile red flags that I was going to pick for today, it will come to this in a moment, I'm not going to pick anymore, is people who talk about how good a DAC is based upon just the chip used. They're ignoring the power supply, they ignore the output stage, yeah. they just go, well, that's got that chip, so that one's going to sound better. And again, mm. it's, it's a filter being applied. Now, what is the most effective filter for deciding whether we like a piece of hi-fi gear? Listening to it. Exactly, listening to it. What is the hardest filter to implement when deciding on what to buy or what to choose listening to it <laughs> exactly right because it involves a lot of effort you have to go places you have to buy shit yeah or send it back right so basically when people are so shopping on specs or dac chips or me- even measurements mm-hmm. they're being i won't say that well it's a combination of laziness and the path of least resistance, right? Mm-hmm. They're going, well, like, it's too much effort for me to go and listen to this stuff for whatever reason. So I'm just going to sort of dial it back to the next thing. So the next thing might be, you know, actually, this is, this is on my list of audio for red flags. I'm going to say it now. Like, mm-hmm. is like when, when somebody says, I heard that amplifier at a hi-fi show. And it was blah, 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 hmm. right? And they, no, you didn't hear it. You were in the same <laughs> room as it in a hi-fi system <laughs> playing music, but you didn't hear it. It was in the system, but you like to hear it, you'd have to have it swapped out for something else so you could isolate its qualities. Hmm. And that didn't happen because that almost never happens at a hi-fi show. Yeah. So, f- yeah, I guess that kind of... It's almost like a wish fulfillment. I want this filter to work for me, right? Because it's it's the most that i can do i can't go and well you can go to a dealer and listen to something but for some reason people seem quite averse to that or they say well my nearest dealer is 3000 kilometers away mm. all right well then get on a plane and make a weekend of it especially if you're looking at multi thousand dollar bits of equipment so you know everything involves effort at some point and i think a lot of people is, and i think the internet has made it's made us lazy and you know, Michael, you mm-hmm. and I benefit from this laziness because people read and watch our stuff because, you know, going out to listen to things is hard. And so they want. Uh, oh, know, yeah, something. we're
1: another filter. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we're another filter. So I'm I'm just saying that the ultimate filter is listening and everything else is a poor substitute. Even listening to me or watching a video of mine, it's a poor substitute for listening to yourself. But mm-hmm. maybe you or I, Michael, oh, this is difficult, isn't it? We We can help people narrow their choices in certain respects not in all respects but in certain respects you know sure that's what what we are we we are i guess filters in 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 some way and i guess people people prefer you know one kind of filter over another you know they might they might Well, they might look at me and go like that guy doesn't measure a damn thing so that filter is rubbish i'm not going to bother with that i need to go to a different website and look at measurements and that's the kind of filter that i think works for me Mm -hmm. and then we're into that whole sort of debate which i'm not going to go near today because we've 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 thrashed it already and knowing how much you get fired up today michael i'm not can't (laughs) risk it (laughs) (laughs) sorry man um (laughs) just oh i'm ready i'm ready I, i know um can we, sorry, well, it's so the the third audio file red flag from listen up, yeah, this was a bit of a weird one, I thought actually it is mm. doesn't like vinyl, oh like I, is it? Mm, why do you think it's weird because I can i I love vinyl, right, mm. and I know you do, but I can see why people don't like it. I can absolutely see it. It's not a red flag to me. I'm like, okay, it's just not for you because you don't like. The fussiness of it, or the fact that you know shit gets warped really easily, or you have to clean records, or you know a lot of secondhand records from the nineties are crazy expensive. Just, I mean, there are lots of little foibles that come with being a vinyl collector <laughs> or enthusiast, right? It's not well, straightforward. It depends on on how you approach it.
1: It really does. I mean, you're mm. g- you're getting into subtlety and nuance, and I think these red flags are. More hammers, <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> blunt instruments meant to you know kind of smack the most egregious, uh, limited thinkers. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, I when I saw it doesn't like vinyl, I immediately thought of all these people who were saying, like do you know the resolution of vinyl compared to a CD, CDs, you know, all this, like yes, these, right. you know, they, the people who want to tech you to death over why vinyl is in an inferior format, you know, and that is a red flag for me. I mean, if I'm at a dinner party and somebody hits me with that, I'm going to say, Oh, you know what? I'll be right back. I have to go
0: somewhere else. <laughs> And, yeah, well, and enjoy myself <laughs> right yeah i, I understand but I, I mean okay here's a here's a great objection to vinyl that has nothing to do with taking you to death mm. you ready yeah. it's really expensive well i know you were gonna say that <laughs> <laughs> i know i'm predictable say? it can be yes it is come on a new release record is 30 bucks minimum come on it is that's expensive uh, not re- re- well relative not- to the Cost of no, streaming, <laughs> it's really... In my
1: experience. I mean, oh, I bought gosh. new records for $18 like last week and I could go to the used record store and, and buy records, you know, from a dollar on
0: up. But yeah. Uh, I, I'm never buying... I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to have to stop you there, Michael. I'm never buying that whole... Like, I got like 50 records for 50 bucks argument because it's never any music that is relevant to me. Like, right, you can't right. buy a 90s PJ Harvey record for anything less than a hundred bucks. It's just, it's impossible.
1: uh, Yes, of course. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying I I can go to Princeton Record Exchange, which I've done probably way too many times in my lifetime, and come out with a stack of records without having spent a fortune. Yeah, crap, crap records. records. (laughs) No, records I really like and want. Really? God. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, but anyway, I get you. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm being the one who's being surgical about this. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, you are. Yeah, because I'm you're being a to...
1: defending vinyl,
0: but, but you're yeah. trying to t- tech me to death about the price of records. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, a yeah, lot you go I'm, to the... this
0: store and this rack and find like these old classical records for two dollars a piece. of do gramophone? No, I have a, a Dolce...
1: bunch of two dollar classical records that I really like. They were records I actually wanted, but you know I... that's the beauty of having having taste that
0: okay. skirts yeah, so know... the mainstream. Yeah yeah but okay so records those kinds of records are for they're a bit like what a lot of 80s and 90s cds are for us right now like like one two dollars right that's there's the equivalent i mean we've hammered this bit well no sorry i (laughs) i've clubbed this donkey to death before (laughs) i'm talking about how cheap cds are but that's not i mean just because cds are cheap is not a a reason to object to records or vinyl it's just that re- buying re- i can't afford to buy every single album that i want to own as a piece of vinyl i can't do it no i can't either right but yes ev- everything's available on streaming for free or like 10 bucks come on it's nothing yeah i know for some sorry i've got to be very careful when I like i always sound really glib when i say 10 bucks is nothing but i'm talking about for the enormity of the library you know like per album the cost per album, you know, for renting that is just—it's pennies. It's ridiculous, anyway. right?
1: But and we're also speaking in the context of hi-fi. You know, people who are looking to buy hi-fi. So a ten-dollar outlay in the grand scheme of things, uh, you know, in our world is not a lot of money. No, you know, but I, I, I you know, believe me. I, I understand that we're not, um, you know, no one is saying like, oh, come on, everyone can afford $10 a month. It's not the case. uh, So, but we're in context of, you know, looking at an amplifier that can be anywhere from a couple hundred dollars to, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, $10 a month, not a lot of money.
0: So I look at it this way, right? If you take, let's say 10 bucks a month, that's 120 a year, Right. Now, let's say you're going to be streaming music for 50 years. So yeah. 50 times 120. God, mm. what's my math? It's 6,000. <laughs> 6,000 bucks, right? For essentially a lifetime of streaming, right? Mm. Yeah. Would you? I mean, you'd, I, I would spend 6,000 bucks on records in a few years, probably. Pretty easily, I would think. Oh, gosh. Maybe. Well, yeah. Six I mean... years, a grand a year? Come on, you would. You would. Uh, I have in the past. Right. So we can't deny that records are expensive. No, no, I'm I'm not de- yeah, I'm they are. I'm determined to win this one. We should <laughs> <laughs> And the thing is we haven't even got going on this this little kind of segment of the podcast yet have we because all we've spoken about is listen ups three red flags and we've picked three of our own I've already given one of mine Michael so why don't you <laughs> give one of your own red oh, flags. Oh god,
1: now really idiot. it worked up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if I can handle it anymore. All right, I'll do the first one and see how it goes. Okay, okay. Um, If you like listening to distortion. Oh, so is that
0: in reference to tubes and and vinyl? Anything.
1: Anything. Yeah, no, I've heard that. I've heard that about not only tube amps, I've heard, you know, any amplifier that on the test bench shows, you know, there are some people who will, you know, I've seen that expressed uh yeah it happens a lot with tube based amplifiers but it's it's happened with preamp solid state blah 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 it's just it is the way it is mm. and that is a red flag for me because it's to my mind it's an oversimplified and wrong way of looking at reality mm-hmm. and reality is That I'm referring to proves, because we can find these things in abundance out in the real world, people who design and build hi-fi and who use measurements to to build their products Mm. purposefully make things that don't measure perfectly.
0: Well, the shit amplifiers are a great example of this. Yeah, uh,
1: they they're, they're they are the poster child of right. pointing this out. And yes, mm. I mean, you know, measurements uh, do are an essential part of manufacturing hi-fi. That's another one of these, you know, when you say something, you know, people want to shortcut and and kind of like, "Oh, you're saying that we don't need science to, you know, make jelly?" <laughs> it's like, "No." No, of course, science is used in the manufacturing thereof, but mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to measured performance, measurements are not, you know, uh, according to some uh, limited <clears throat> look on a test bench, the final arbiter of the v- the value and enjoyability of a piece and also of also what we hear
0: also what we hear like this, yeah
1: of course yeah. what we hear because you know this whole, all this like uh, these people who are so component or speaker focus on measurements Do you tell me what happens when you put Uh, this amp with that speaker and then measure the output and then change the amplifier and then look at the output and then the worst case scenario of all for anyone who's thinking they've got a handle on measurements and shit put it in a room measure it put it in another room measure it you you could drive yourself you know batty because you'll Mm. never come out with a consistent set of measurements in the real world when things get hooked together and put in rooms there's no such thing as a perfect listening well john maybe you have the perfect listening no i don't no, no. no but, it's you know, because- but you know what i'm saying it's it's like this 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 obsessiveness with ideology and and it's really um you know i i don't understand it so yeah when
0: people I say do. i have hmm. also thought sorry i'm i'm going to cut you off because i thought about this a lot really and in, in the i mean this is my best guess right i, I could be wrong but i think there is a very strong incentive to be super into measurements if you don't have a lot of money to spend because mm. a lot of the measurements i see really show cheap let's call it let's say amplifiers affordable amplifiers mm. to perform as well or better than more expensive amplifiers in this in the limited scope in which they're tested right and in, in which they're measured so right. if you don't have a lot of money you would absolutely lap that up because you would think to yourself, well, okay, this amp is just as good as that more expensive one, Mm. right? So it makes you feel good. Like, oh, 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 those idiots spending all that six grand and 60 grand on amplifiers. I've got something just as good here (laughs) for 300 bucks. Now, whether it sounds as good is a different matter, but they they haven't entertained that question. They haven't thought necessarily or too hard about whether Mm. the measurements are you know, what they tell us about the sound of something, because that's where stuff comes unstuck pretty quickly, I think.
1: Well, it does, because everyone I know, or most everyone I know, and it's a very short list of people who have decades of experience, both measuring audio equipment and listening to audio equipment, say categorically there's no correlation. So yes, it.
0: Yeah, I've heard this pretty much from every engineer. Yeah. Or so it's only, It only correlates up to a point. And then from there, it's only our ears that could, well, only their ears in developing a product can take them the rest of the way because the measurements don't go that far.
1: Yes, and the, yeah, and I'm talking about, yes, some you know, manufacturers who are engineers who use measurements um, as part of their tool chest when building things. But, you know, Joe Schmo12666 in the stereo file comments is going to know much better than, you know someone who's been building amplifiers for 60 years um how good his amplifier is because he's he's looked at three graphs on you know from John Atkinson's measurements so it's it's rubbish so yeah when i uh, hear someone say if you like listening distortion you know that's another cue that we um Let's just say we're coming at this hobby from very different places.
0: Yes. And that, actually, that's a really important point because you and I were discussing this on the phone the other day, right? Hmm. Is that, you know, like I think yours and my attitude towards hi fi and playback is very similar and certainly more similar than it is to other people. And probably uh, there's a bigger chasm. I mean, for, when I see somebody who's really into the gear and formats, we talked about formats a lot today, hmm. who is like obsessed, you know, with formats and, the hardware and, you know, they're what I would call maybe like a, a tech first kind of audio file. Mm, mm. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but there's just a mile between where I am and where they are. And the, the common ground is often very hard to find. It's, it's difficult, you know, and I think I probably said this before, mm. but like when, when you're trying to find common ground with people like that, it doesn't help to, to point out where the differences are.
1: Mm. Yeah, in some cases, yeah, easier said than done. I mean, there's there are you know we've talked about this many times too. There are there are extremists out there on both sides, and it's very hard to reach middle ground with an extremist, you know, or with yeah, with someone who's viewing, uh, who views the other person as an evil <laughs> human being, you know, who's out to do harm in some
0: way. <laughs> you know, so my second red flag, and this is, this relates to people. I can't believe it actually, because I've been hammering this in my YouTube videos, not so subtly for months. And still the odd person comes along into the comment section and they write things like, well, I think product a crushes or destroys (laughs) product B, which in turn blows product C out of the water. (laughs) I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And it, I don't know whether it's because they want to feel good about what they've bought and they want to put more daylight between it and the nearest rival, therefore, mm. crushes, destroys, blows out of the water, makes them feel good. But very rarely are the differences between products, maybe speakers, maybe speakers, but very rarely are they those kinds of enormous differences. They're just not. It, I think it does the audiophile world a disservice to talk in such hyperbolic terms now i know we all get carried away and we get enthusiastic Mm. sometimes but Mm. i've really tried to rein it in in the last yeah the last six to nine months and make sure i'm I'm reminding people that the the differences are small because they are because if you're a newcomer and you come and watch maybe some of my earlier videos you might think oh yeah the the differences are night and day they're not they're Mm. really not Mm. i mean i'm looking at two different speakers right now so the zoo soul six and the kef r3 meta Mm -hmm. and i i wouldn't say that one crushes the other or destroys the other or um you know (laughs) blows the other one out of the water but they are very different loudspeakers yeah they are as close to night and day as you might get in the speaker world Mm. um but even then i wouldn't ah yeah maybe i might it might it might fit it might fit awkwardly but you know between amplifiers no not at all it's subtle differences now those subtleties matter to audio folk but we should not blow them out of proportion so when somebody comes out with with the big guns the big words you know i'm like red flag i'm sorry like you've you've lost all sense of perspective so that's that's my next red flag Oh yeah my next
1: one is essentially the same thing said in a different (laughs) way so we don't really have to go there okay but have you heard you know, that like no matter what you review, we've talked about this before too. Um, mm. You know, no matter what it is or how many comparisons you can make in a review, someone always wants to know about something else, you know. Or, oh, I see.
0: As in they asking you, have you heard? Yeah, like, but have okay. you heard?
1: Like, oh, I know you said that was really good, but have you heard, you know, this?
0: Uh, I see over on my YouTube comment section, the equivalent of that is like, well, how does it compare to? Yeah. Yes. And I'm like, what? I, I just don't have that. What gives you the impression that I have that? Like, and I really do think that a lot of, maybe it's newcomer disease. I don't know. A lot of new people think that you and I have these enormous warehouses bolted onto our houses, literally. Well, we I can do, like, just but, walk okay. into it. Yeah, well, you do. You have a big barn, right? Okay. But like we have this big warehouse available to us of all the gear that's available right now. We can just go in there, yeah, pull it off the shelf, plug it in, and do the comparison.
1: Or everything we've ever reviewed is somewhere. In, somewhere.
0: Yes, still there. No, no. I don't think a lot of newcomers realize that we get gear in, we mm. have it for a, a few weeks, maybe for a lucky few months, and then it goes back to the manufacturer. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's a. You know, I. I
1: don't know if you experience this, but uh, you know, a lot of times, well, especially with speaker deliveries. um, So, uh, when they're larger palletized speakers, it it can be any number of local delivery companies that are bringing them here. So it's Mm -hmm. not the same UPS or FedEx guy that I know. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody knew that more than likely has never been here. And so it'll be a bit of a conversation, right? Oh, you know, like, what are these? Like, I just shipped out last week, the Dynaudio Contour 60s that I reviewed. And those come in wooden uh, crates that oh, are, you know, five foot tall. I mean, I could I could literally lay inside of one. And so there are these big wooden crates. And, you know, the driver was curious, right? Like, uh-huh and I was like, oh, yeah, I do, you know, I review these things. Um, and he's like, oh. oh, so like people, like they send you these and then you have to send them back when you're done. And that is like common in my experience, especially with these drivers, you know, that I talk to,
0: mm-hmm. you know, that
1: you say you actually have to send them back. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're here for, you know, X amount of time and then
0: they go back. But okay, but like, let's, let's turn the tables because reviewers are also guilty of, saying certain things that i think are red flags right and i'm going to oh, pick whoa. one out here <laughs> yeah sure and I, yeah. and I realized that this could trigger loads of people to kind of you know go out onto forums onto reddit and go here's my list of reviewer red flags and like so be it if you want to do that up to you but whatever mm. but the one that really grinds my gears michael is this <laughs> one right and i believe it or not i saw it today about mm. some cables now forget that it's cables mm. but I, I just thought why no? it is this it's the old war horse of and it's basically when somebody hasn't done a comparison it is competes with products two or three times the price
1: yeah. now
0: <laughs> that makes anybody who owns it feels good it makes the manufacturer feel, feel feels makes the manufacturer feel good it also is it creates a sort of pseudo incentive to buy but it's the laziest thing you can say because and here's my problem with it is that you're not specifying what those two or three times more expensive products are if you did Mm. fine like if you said okay this five hundred dollar amp competes with this twenty five hundred dollar amp and here's why totally cool but it's it's just it's all generalization and no justification Mm. and you see it so many times at the end of, of mainly written reviews i don't see it on youtube very often Maybe because people just can't get the words out. With yeah, really? <laughs> and I'm sure that I introduce red flags for people. I'm sure that you do, Michael, but that's mine. And because this is our podcast, <laughs> we get to pick them, right?
1: Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, I could <laughs> probably pick my own reviews apart, you know, and make fun of them endlessly um, mm. if, if I f- was so inclined to do that or anyone else's for that matter this uh, it's not the same but it reminds me of um a question that i'll get asked occasionally Mm. about a review and that is so what did you really think
0: oh god yes. and it's like
1: well i wrote exactly what i i thought yes um it's best like, you know, I mean, really the the struggle for me and I'm not, that's, it's not really the appropriate word or the most difficult thing about writing a review for me is, is feeling that I've adequately described how something sounds because it's mm-hmm. not always easy to do for me. You know, it's it's not
0: just always easy. Um, let, let's wrap it up with, um, a couple of recommended albums yeah i'll start i'll start and i'll keep it quick um i mentioned ben jordan's video about dolby atmos earlier on ben jordan is still making music as the Flashbulb. he released an album at the end of last year to very little fanfare called (laughs) i've got got to look at it closely to make sure i don't mispronounce it the curly in tapes volume one now if you go i mean my favorite ben jordan records I think would horrify most people. They'd be like, what the hell is this electronic bleepy, bloopy noise, right? <laughs> but this one is not like that. It's it's much more sedate. It's full of piano and organic instrumentation. There are some synthetic beats in there as well, but it, it's it's much, it's a, a calmer record. I just, when I was listening to it, I was thinking, this is a Ben Jordan record that your average hi-fi showing audiophile could enjoy. It's instrumental. It's generally fairly... Undemanding of the listener, it kind of just washes over you. In some respects, although I don't want to say it's not interesting, I'm just saying it's not. It's not an oral assault, as say something <laughs> like Human Action Network would be, which is an album he made under a different name. Huh. Or um yeah, and I love the the chaotic electronic Ben Jordan, and I know he's got a lot of fans that get pretty rabid about that stuff, and I don't know how he feels about them. I'm sorry, Ben, I'm one of them, but um, but the, yeah, the new record is it's just it's nice it's it's pleasant it's yeah if you've never heard any flashbulb and you're an hmm. audiophile and likes to sort of just sit in the front row at audio shows this is could, could be something that you would be into it's available on Bandcamp. i'll put the link in the show notes over at darko.audio hmm. michael over to you so
1: yeah the album i've chosen is um Extremely challenging. <laughs> <All right. laughs> well, the the reason for this selection really is because uh, the the saxophonist Peter Bratzman passed away. Oh, uh, right, yeah, just the other day, and he's someone whose music I've been listening to for a very long time. Mm. Um, he's a you know he's uh, free jazz is the easiest overall classification. Mm -hmm. I actually saw him in concert in a very small club in New York a couple years ago. Uh, It was the first time, and it just—he was stunning in person. So the the record I'm um, recommending is both the band name and title, Mm -hmm. and that is Last Exit. Not mm. to be confused with this. Uh there's there was another band that came out that's the real effusion-y kind of music. This mm. is Last Exit that features Peter Brotzman um on saxophone, Ronald Shannon Jackson on drums, Bill Laswell on bass, and oh, okay. Sonny Sharrock on guitar. And it's it's relentlessly brutal. <laughs> it is relentlessly brutal, wow. as was a lot of hit Peter Bratzman's music. Mm. Um uh, this record came out in 86 it was the uh one of their first rec i believe it was their first record uh, uh re- the first record released um and it was bill laswell's idea to to put together this group of really mostly free jazz musicians but inject it with a, a real punk rock energy mm-hmm. um and it's really like fasten your seatbelt for the ride. It's, it's, uh, it's very high energy and wild, 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 wild.
0: Yeah. Wow. It doesn't sound like my sort of thing at all. I'm sorry to say it. No, I think
1: I, I really (laughs) doubt it, but it's the kind of like,
0: it's the kind of music I would listen to on a day like today. You know, I, I filmed a video today, and at the end, I said, look, and let me know what you think in the comment section, because I know many of you out there love a good grump. And then I followed it with like, <laughs> and, and I'm one of those people, because one of the joys of getting older, I think, mm. is mm. being able to get grumpy about stuff. Mm. It's, I don't think it's healthy all the time, but it can yes, be. certainly. But I know a lot of my friends over the years consider me to be a, a little bit grumpy, and that's because I enjoy... Being grumpy about <laughs> stuff, right now. I'm not saying that's good for the people around me, mm. but I don't know. Some sometimes I just find it cathartic or funny, you know, to just to call bullshit on on various <laughs> right, things, right? Right, right. But I, I will qualify it with this. Mm. I think for it to come off properly, it absolutely needs tone of voice, and it doesn't work in comment sections. I know I invited oh, my yeah. my yeah. Uh, commenters to do so, but. Really, I think just in the written word on the internet, it it can even if you're trying to be the funniest person alive, Mm. you. All it takes is just not to have an emoji at the end or something, and Mm. it comes across as the most acerbic comment ever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you know, if I was to transcribe this podcast and put it on my website just as text,
1: Mm.
0: it would read very differently. It would read a lot more hostile. So I. I know that from you know just listening to you, you know, obviously your tone of voice pulls things back, it moves things forward, like mm. it takes us right to the precipice and then <laughs> right. you know, right. pulls us back again, you know? <laughs> like it's just tone of voice is huge, which is mm. I guess why internet conversations don't really work that that well. You know, and I think podcasts like this, because mm. yeah. they do have tone of voice, I think, do. Hmm. So uh, it just, I think it humanizes everything and it, oh God, I'm, I'm disappearing up my own ass. Again, <laughs> <laughs> no, let's end it here, Michael. Thank you very much for your time. <laughs> yeah, no, it's my, uh, my pleasure. You have been listening to the Darko Audio podcast with me, John Darko and Twittering Machines is Michael Lavonia. This episode was produced by Nick McCorriston and music came from Ben Pitt.